Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I'm so glad that you could join uh, me for the show. I've got a really great guest today, Pastor Miles McPherson, who is uh, someone I heard preaching uh, growing up when I was leaning into Jesus. I'm not going to say how old I am, Miles. But, uh, <laughs> He's um, got an incredible testimony. He's also the pastor of uh, and founding pastor of the Rock Church. Um, started this beautiful project we'll talk about called Do Something Church, uh, and written a wonderful book, The Third Option, that we'll talk about. So it's good, good to be with you, brother. Thanks for doing this. Good to be here. Yeah, so let's start. You know, a little backdrop for folks that uh, haven't had the privilege of hearing you preach. Um, I mean, I, there's a little bit more to you, too, than just a preacher. So gi- give us a little intro of how you fell in love with Jesus and how you started the ministry you're doing now. Well, I used to play professional football here uh, for the San Diego Chargers, and I got saved um, uh, right after my second season. My first two seasons, I was doing drugs and living wild, and I accepted Christ as my Savior stopped doing cocaine in one day. And then I started just sharing the gospel wherever I could with kids and prisons and juvenile halls, school assemblies. And then uh, two years later, I retired from the NFL and became a youth pastor. Yeah. And so it kind of naturally happened as I was sharing my faith and seeing people get saved. I said, well, this seems to be pretty easy. Why don't I just do that? And, and not only easy, but very important. And I didn't have anything more important to do than to see people get saved. So I just went into youth ministry and then, 16 years after that, I became a senior pastor of the Rock Church. Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, things have changed over the decades. I think a lot of a lot of folks uh, have gotten a little disenchanted with with Christianity. A lot of young people are leaving the church, partly because of the contradictions that they see uh, within the church. And that, you know, we started Red Letter Christians because we, we said uh, we, we really resonate with Gandhi when he, he was asked about Christianity. He said, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we were trying to aspire. We say we, we, we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. Uh, and, and, you know, you're, you've got this this kind of active Christianity that it's not just about what you believe, but you got to be doing something with that. So say a little bit more about why to do something church and uh, why you're not just kind of talking to talk. You know, when I was a youth pastor, um, I was getting my MDiv and somewhere in, the, in the, a class, I remember getting inspired here in the class, I can't remember, uh, about creating three jobs for every four people. Mm. I'm sorry, seven jobs for every 10 people, not a job, but a role, a function. And so my youth group, you know, we we had a couple hundred kids. We said, how can we create 140 different roles? And we just started making stuff up. Like you guys set the chairs up, you guys break the chairs down. You guys, you know, every, we, we created pairs of kids who would go greet new kids two on one. And we just started creating roles so everybody had something to do. And, and then I further developed, you know, 
the, the Bible talking about people doing the work, the, uh, the, the saints doing the work of the ministry. Mm. And so we expanded that to, to look at the needs in the community and encourage people to go back to where they came from. Where did God deliver you from? How did God comfort you? Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, that the God of all comfort comforts us with the comfort that we should be comforted others. And so how can you go back and comfort people with the same comfort you received when, before you got saved? Yeah. And so we started deploying people out of the community any way that they felt the Lord leading them to. We had 100 ministries at one time that were serving out in the community. And so, um, you know, it's one thing to come to church and and listen to the word. You know, people go to football games not to see the huddle. They go to see the play. Right. And Sunday's our huddle. Right. So now what are we going to do with what we learned, how we've been inspired? And so we started encouraging people to go out to the community. Then we went to the mayor and said, we want to give you 100,000 hours of volunteer service. How would you like to use it? And, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it just kept evolving over the years to be more, more organized. And now we have tons of people out there in the community serving. Yeah. When, when I look at, uh, you know, things like Matthew 25, where Jesus is, you know, talking about the final account of, of the judgment, uh, it's it, God's going to ask is not just... Uh, what we believed. It's not just a theological test, but it, it, it's, you know, how, how did that, what, how did that turn in to translate into action, especially actions that impact the most vulnerable people? You know, did you visit me when I was in prison? Did you welcome me when I was a stranger? Did you share food with me and provide healthcare when I was sick? So it's all about that action. And we, we, we often say works don't earn our salvation, but they demonstrate it. And if mm-hmm. all we've got to a doctrinal statement, then, um, we, we might be believers, but not followers of Jesus. So it, it's more than just forming believers, but but really making disciples. And y'all are doing that. You're also like addressing the um, the racial justice uh, stuff. And, and I mean, the divisions that are in every part of our society right now, it feels like around, you know, black folks and people of color and white Americans are really divided. I think of a uh, Martin Luther King, when he said the most segregated hour in the world is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, But you're trying to change that. You're mirroring like the kingdom. You're building a diverse community and you're not scared to talk about, uh, you know, the the, the racial injustices of the world around us. So say a little bit more about that. And I want to I want to talk about your your third option idea, too, is powerful. Yeah, my, I wrote a book called The Third Option, and I, I grew up in a very diverse family, black, white, Chinese, West Indian, and uh, all the football teams I played on were diverse. But yet when I was growing up, and even now, there's a lot of division in the culture. Um, and so you feel like you pulled us first, them, you on one side against the other. Um, there's so much division in culture. And the third option, instead of us or them, and this idea of this, this bifurcation of, of society, the third option is that we honor what we have in common. And we all know that all of us are made in the image of God. Every single person, no matter what they believe, no matter what their lifestyle, they were created in the image of God. Um, everybody's equally human. We may not act equally human, but we are all 100% human. And so the third option is that we place value on that. So I wrote this book called The Third Option. And then we also have training for that for churches small groups and for corporations and schools, public schools, Christian schools. Um, So we actually do a lot of training uh, about that. And the whole premise is that because we're all equally human, um, if we place value on the things that we have in common, which everything that comes with being human, 
not only physically we all have blood and bones and organs we are we all want family we all want to be in love and have purpose in our life and and we're all going to die and we all want to, to have community all the there's thousands and countless of things that go with being a human and if we start with that and validate people's pain validate people's need for security and good health and safe communities um if we start there then we can start on a common ground and start united versus starting divided. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we see somebody we automatically um acknowledge what's different and now we have to work to be united. But if we start with being united, then we have to go backwards and it's it's a lot harder to do that um and easier just to stay together when you start there. Yeah. And it does feel like there's there's a way of thinking about racial justice and unity and common ground that uh, can turn a blind eye to the specificity that racism has had through history and the, the impact that it continues to leave on the criminal justice system and uh, policing and other things in our country. So I, I think of, um, uh, you know, the response of the Black Lives Matter for a lot of people is all lives matter, you know, and there's this sense of just wanting to be colorblind and ignore race altogether, sort of the post-race thing. Um, but Alexia Salvatierra, who's out there in California, she's um, she I've heard her use that text from Corinthians, which is so beautiful, that talks about how we're one body with many parts. And then she says, but you, we sometimes miss the end of it, which is that the parts of the body that have been dishonored are given special honor, uh, you know, and, and it's, 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 she calls it God's affirmative action. <laughs> you know, God's especially firm affirming that, which, you know, history has kind of mm-hmm. um, contradicted for a lot of years. And, and so there's a way that we can kind of celebrate the, the, the justice and the, 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 uh, the dignity of people that have been robbed of it and continue to be crushed in many ways today. So I'd love to hear you, you know, say, reflect a little bit on that. You know, the, the, the idea that, that we are all made in the image of God. We race is an artificial construct, you know, of our, of our world. And yet it continues to impact a lot of our systems and structures. So what does it mean to be people that are pursuing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, I think sometimes we make this more complicated than it needs to be. Um, uh, Race, there's only one race and that's the human race. There are different ethnicities, but there's only one race. And And in my book, I talk about things that help break down what you said in the sense that even when it feels like you're giving more honor to someone else and actually it's actually a leveling out. You know, when I was a kid, I was called names by white people because I wasn't white. I got called names by black people because I wasn't black enough. And I didn't want either one group to say, give me more. I just wanted to be treated like everybody else. And I think a lot of times when people who have been marginalized a long time are asking for something that's fair, it feels like they're asking for more. Mm. And I think if if we start with, you know, in the third option where I talk about, um, we're all more similar than different. When you've been used to either having more or used to looking down on someone or looking up when there's a, when there's an imbalance in treatment and perspective, when you level it out, it seems like someone's getting more and someone's getting less. And I think if we just could start with the idea and and focus on the idea that that person, no matter what they look like, 
is equally human to me. Mm. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? That person deserves the same thing I deserve. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? And I think if we start with just treating, loving people like we love ourselves, love, love our neighbor as ourselves. One of the one of the lessons in our training is that um, we use labels to uh, de- define people, and the label that we use on someone determines what we'll see in them and what we can't see in them. Hmm. And in, in in the greatest commandment, God says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Neighbor is a label. If I take the word label neighbor out and put in another label that is devaluing, dehumanizing, it's critical. It's a critical label. It's a, it may be a political label, maybe a racial label. Uh, as soon as I do that, I disqualify that person from me having to love them because they're not my neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's a very subtle thing, but it's a red letter. It's, it's, it's one of the red letters in the Bible, right? Jesus' yeah. words. But if we could put the word, la- the label neighbor on everyone, brother, sister, uh, God's ch- child, loved by God, um, anointed, even if someone's not a Christian, they're still loved by God. And if we could put that label made in the image of God, created to have relationship with God, if we put those labels on every single human, then we'll just, tr- well, it'll be easier for us to treat them as we treat ourselves. And then there's no, I got to give them extra or I got to, you know, I got to measure it out. I'm just loving them like I love myself. So Jesus kind of gave us the blueprint, but it's just hard for us to understand how to use it because we're so used to it in balance. Uh, but I talk about blind spots, not knowing what you don't know. And this is one of those things you don't really, we don't really know a lot of times uh, how we are segregated from people and how we look down or up at people mm-hmm. because we're so used to doing it. Yeah. Hey, listen, if y'all are just tuning in, thanks for joining us. This is, uh, I'm Shane Claiborne and our guest we've been listening to is uh, Pastor Miles McPherson, who is uh, an incredible leader uh, and pastor here in the United States and done great work, work all around the world. Um, you can find more at milesmcpherson.com and um, you can see his book, uh, The Third Option that we've been talking about. Um, so thanks for listening in. And we're, we're, we're you know, only halfway through and I, I, I'm loving it, man. I was thinking of one of the, you know, those sections of the red letters where the um, it says that a guy came up to Jesus and was asking this question, who's my neighbor? And, you know, it's kind of like whenever you're asking who's my neighbor, you're probably also asking who's not my neighbor. You know, who am I exempt from uh, <laughs> showing compassion to? And Jesus tells that power, powerful story of the good Samaritan where the religious folks who you would think would show compassion don't. And they, you know, avoid the man in the ditch and the the Samaritan who didn't have all his theology right, but he sure had his compassion right. And he reaches in and gets the person out of the ditch. But one, one of my friends was pointing out, said, sometimes we, we, we think about, you know, the obvious point of the story is that, that you, you might have some un, unlikely heroes when it comes to uh, the love and compassion of God and the religious folks don't always show up. But we also we, we don't think always about the person in the ditch. And they pointed out that the we don't know hardly anything about them. Um, the only ways you could identify the person in the ditch were by what they were wearing or by maybe their accent or dialect. And they're knocked unconscious and stripped naked. So the point might be uh, of that story is that they're made in the image of God. Right. We, we don't know what culture they were from. We don't know what they're who they voted for. We don't know. <laughs> All we know exactly. is that they're human being made in the image of God and they matter. And uh, and we've all got people, I think, that we kind of write off. Uh, but but um, this affirmation that God's working in everybody and maybe where we least expect it, I think, is a very consistent uh, theme of Jesus. Um, 
And, and, you know, you mentioned that part of the way that you see the, the church is that we're leading out of uh, the, the, our own experiences, right? And your, your church is doing that. Um, in, in our community in North Philadelphia, we, we have a recovery community we're connected to that's all folks coming off of substance addictions, especially heroin. We've got, you know, folks coming out of domestic violence. We've got all these things. And yet the people that are most equipped to walk alongside other folks are the people who have survived some things, who have some some scars and some experiences that they can identify with. Even, you know, guys on the corner that are coming out of that are able to reach folks in a way that, that others can't. And uh, we like the language of we're wounded healers, right? That our wounds are not our liabilities, but they're our credentials. And it sounds like you're you're building that kind of community too, where everybody's got a place. And no matter what you've survived, it kind of gives you some um, special, you know, uh, 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 ability to reach out to others through the spirit of God, right? Exactly. It, God doesn't make junk and God doesn't make mistakes. So everybody is designed for a specific purpose with intent. And our role as believers is not only to fulfill the intent of God in our own life, but how do we help others make a disciple is not someone who reads a book, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Reading a book is part of that, but follow Jesus and fulfill the specific role that God has given you. Racism is one of those things that says uh, your value, your the gift on your life, the talent in your life, the calling in your life is less valid than in mine because of what you look like. Mm. And so, Third option says, no, it's equally as valid to God. And then therefore it needs to be equally valid to me. How do I, how do I uh, um, uh, uh, elevate that and give honor to that? One of the things I talk about in the book is grouping and grouping is this tendency to put people in groups that of people who are like me or not like me. And when we see people, our brains automatically start sizing people up, whether from color, accent or height or the clothes they wear. And, and we decide they're either like me or not like me. And if they're not like me, they're my out group. And then I put them in a certain group. And so in the book, I talk about how we self-segregate all the time, constantly. But then I talk about how we can actually include people in your group by identifying them as human. Identifying them as someone who's made an image of God, someone who needs family, someone who needs love. These are all the things we have in common. So everybody in that sense is like me. <clears throat> and if we, and if God has a special calling on my life, God has a special calling on their life. If God loves me, died for me, rose from the dead for me, offers me salvation, is interceding for me, he's doing the same for them. And if we look at it that way, um, it's really just the gospel. But in our culture, because race is such a volatile topic, I've been, you know, been subject to it for, for all my life. Um, and it's a very real, painful uh, divider that the Satan uses. The third option, the book, The Third Option, talks about how we can unravel that in people's lives and people's hearts and minds in, in, from a biblical perspective. Mm. And when, when, um, I mean, there's a lot of things that we're navigating in our, our country right now. And uh, I think around the world, there's a lot of uh, folks rising up and trying to make change happen. Um, but one of the things that we've, we've been living through is COVID and the pandemic, and it's meant a lot of pivots. A lot of churches are not kind of bouncing back from that. Um, they're struggling to find find their way. Um, there's communities like ours in North Philly where we've tried, we've 
had to pivot and do some things new. We started testing people out in public spaces, like in our gardens, where we could um, do COVID testing and eventually vaccinating for folks that were living on the street, you know, and um, bringing stuff, bringing church outside rather than inside. And I know that COVID has affected you and your family closely, uh, intimately, and um, also your congregation. So I don't know if you have any uh, uh, takeaways from from what we can learn right now, or even questions that it raises for you, or new new possibilities that have opened up because we've we've had to be creative in these times. Um, I would say that COVID was in many things, but for the church, it was a great eye opener to how many disciples we did not have, mm-hmm. and how um, how the lack of commitment to church, the lack of preparation of the pastors um, for um, the shutdown. And a lot of people were visiting churches, but they weren't really committed to the churches. And so I think if anything, it it caused pastors to reevaluate their systems and how well they disciple, how committed the people were, who was really committed to them or not. And now that we're back, how do we make adjustments to be better disciplers of the people? And 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 also, it also tested people's compassion. I mean, there was a lot of fear during COVID, especially when people were dying and churches weren't in place and how, how they were going to survive. You know, how well did we respond during that time to look out for other people? And I would imagine also that we saw the hand of God because during COVID, when people weren't in church, finances went up, ironically, in a lot of churches that I know about. And so uh, that sent a very clear message that this is God saying, this is mine. I'll take care of this. So I think it was a lot of lessons. And and the question is, when are the, you know, what do the pastors do with that information and how are they going to leverage that information to be better in this next season? Because you know, the devil has a lot of tricks. I'm not saying COVID was from the devil, but it, obviously God doesn't send a disease. But how, you know, God's never going to let us be tested beyond what we can withstand. He's going to give us a way out. What do we learn from it? And how is that going to help us in, in this next season? Mm-hmm. When, when you think of um, what we're what we're facing right now, as far as, uh, you know, scripture calls it the principalities and powers and the um the unique challenges of living out following Jesus in 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 this time and space um what what do you what do you think about like where where you would like to see the church a generation from now like uh some of the things that we need to be um uh practicing a little bit better as we we turn our beliefs into action um i think the church needs to get back to the bible out of politics uh, I think that um, uh, we should take our cues from the Bible, not our politicians, on on race and all the all the issues, uh, all the isms. You know, are we really good at loving people? Mm. I think the church in general has become really good at judging people and marginalizing people versus loving people, and and let the Holy Spirit do what He does to, in people's lives. Mm. Um, and making disciples who can do that, promote the gospel and, 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 and build the big C church uh, and, and be what Jesus was and is still uh, a loving savior. And not that we would be saviors, but we'd be loving people reflecting the love of the savior. I don't think it's more complicated than that. 
Yeah. And and demonstrating the power of God. I mean, uh, the Holy Spirit is powerful. He raises the dead. And, you know, are we walking in that power uh, to love people and to overcome, help them overcome uh, some of the ills that they're experiencing in life? But if we're just going to be a, a weak, um, critical uh, community, that, that doesn't work. That's not the heart of God. And God's not going to bless that. So I think one of the things going back to COVID, he kind of get, get, has given us an opportunity to reset and say, let's try this again. Let's start over and, and let's just do this my way. Sweet. Yeah. Well, we got just a minute or two left. And Vanessa, who uh, curates our podcast and uh, helps with the radio show, she's the one that connected us. And she said that you're a, a really great uh, or a big, big reader. You, you love reading. So I, I thought, uh, what are you reading right now that we should be reading? What's something that you've read lately that uh, um, you, you really enjoyed and took to heart? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why she got excuse me. a book called uh, Death by Meeting. Mm. Patrick Lencioni, it's about uh, setting up how you do meetings. Um, that's that's the kind of book I'm reading now. So I don't know if that's really exciting to people. <laughs> but I would tell you all the leaders in, in the, who are listening who are tired of endless meetings that seem to be going in circles and don't and don't get to the point uh, that that's the book that that's why i'm reading that book trying to be more efficient with time it, may, it makes me think of that thing it said uh that that entire meeting could have been a text message right but uh yeah really? uh, so so good man uh so y'all we've been talking with miles mcpherson who is uh the founding pastor of The Rock. He's also written this great book. I hope everybody will get it. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, the third option and uh, talking about the same things that we've been talking about on this show. Um, and, you know, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Miles, for doing this. And uh, we'll continue to follow your work. How can people follow you on socials or, or the website? At Miles McPherson. Just go to at Miles McPherson. That's it, y'all. So thanks for tuning in. And you can go to Red Letter Christians and see more about how you can join uh, what we're doing uh, over in the UK and around the world. Folks are um, wanting a Christianity that looks more like Jesus, that acts more like Jesus, that loves more like Jesus, that has significance for those that Jesus called the least of these in our society. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Hey, y'all, this is Shane Claiborne with Red Letter Christians, and I've got a big favor to ask of you. We want to get to know you a little bit more and make sure that you're getting what you need from Red Letter Christians. So I would love it if you would head to tinyurl.com slash RLC dash podcast. It's all in the show notes. And take five minutes to complete a little survey from you so that we can make sure that you get more of what you love. It's just an honor to be building a better world with all of you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you 
for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.